the history of personal computing. History, history, history. History of Personal Computing. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the History of Personal Computing, the podcast. This is show eight, and it's going to be our very last regular show of 2014. In only 12 more days, on the 24th, we're going to release a very special Christmas and holiday season show of collected stories about computer and gaming gifts of the past. So make sure and tune into that, as they say, because it's going to be a great time. I'm your host, David Grillish, today, and I'm joined by my very special, regular co-host, Jeff Salzman. Hey, how's it going, everybody? So you're (laughs) you're David Grillish today. What are you going to be tomorrow? Is that what I said? I'm your host here. Yeah. Yeah. um, What is new with you? Oh, uh, whirlwind month uh, for me. Travel. Travel in the New England area, right? Yes. I was recently on a trip to the Boston area for a mini vacation over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, my wife and I visited Salem, Massachusetts, and Plymouth, Massachusetts, and also a friend who lives in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Wow. Uh, that's here for Woonsocket. Um, it, it seems I have ancestors from Salem and Plymouth. My ninth great uncle is John Proctor, who was hung as a witch during the Sam- Salem witch trials. In fact, I think it was the only male who was hung as a witch. Um, that's terrible. His sister, Sarah Proctor, is actually my direct ancestor. But you know, uh, don't you always hear about that they were burned at the stake? They were, but he was hung. Huh. Uh, at least that's what the diorama told me. Um, <laughs> yeah, they have this whole diorama thing in the in their museum, so we watched that too. Got to see my uncle. Um, we we also looked for sites and artifacts related to the Proctor family while we were there, and boy, was it a cold day up there. It wasn't as warm as Atlanta. Um, and. On the Plymouth side, my ninth great grandfather, great grand, yeah, ninth great grandfather is John Alden. You know, those of you who remember your history books, he was one of the original Mayflower refugees. So while we were in Plymouth, which was like 40 degrees warmer the next day, um, hmm. we, we visited his preserved farm estate and his gravesite, which we understand is the oldest graveyard in new in the New America. Hmm. So it's kind of like your ancestors were the. Uh... The persecutors and the persecutees or whatever. Yeah, I guess they don't <laughs> flip sides. And actually, I also have another branch coming off I of guess the Mayflower anyway. that actually married into the Alden family several generations later. Um, so it's it's kind of mixed in there. I guess if I wanted to, I can, you know, join the Mayflower Society or whatever as a as a descendant. But, you know. But I guess uh, the, all the, the people that were the witches that were burned or what are killed... They were also pilgrims, right? Our ancestors. They would have, yeah. They would have pretty much descended from them. Yeah. They all came on the same, same way. Did you go into any of the? Don't, isn't there? Aren't there also a lot of like actual, new age and you know witchcraft stores and all that kind of stuff too? In in Salem, yes. But I was in surprised Salem, yeah. how, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's almost like touristy now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'll find the new age stores and stuff, but even. On, on the end of one of the main streets, they have a statue to um, um, Samantha the Witch from Bewitched. <laughs> they, they do. They actually have one there. Wow. 
a tribute to Samantha. So it's like, okay, it's a little commercially for me. I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a nice statue, but it's like, okay, now we're just kind of. And besides, where's the one to Sabrina? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should go up there and protest. I'll have a witch in. Well, for me, uh, if you remember last show, I spoke about my musical sketch for my company, and then I included my little mock-up at the end. Yes, you had like a two-tier approval system you had to go through or something like that? (laughs) Yes, it's been approved. Oh, yay. So the the president, the one you were worried about, actually liked it? Well, no. I mean, he actually, he has not heard it, though, just finally this week. uh, So we're going to record on the 19th, which is not, um, not... Tomorrow, the 12th, was recording Thursday evening, kind of late for the show, but on next Friday. So um, so anyway, I, have an, I just got appointments to like meet with him, the CEO, and I'm going to give him a copy of the script and go over it with him and let him hear my little thing. And also the COO, which supposedly he's supposed to be doing the, the part with the woman singing, the real operatic stuff. That's okay. kind of a funny thing. So, But I think it'll be good. Um, it's kind of funny because at first they said, uh, you know, when it was looking good, it's going to be included, that it would be the fun- finale, which I thought would be great. So now apparently it's not going to be a finale because the theme of the sales kickoff is is rock, rock and roll. <laughs> it doesn't fit in with that. So that's going to so, be kind of interesting, this piece I did, which is nothing like rock, and then the rest of it's all you know rock-based. They're going to try to do some kind of song or something. But I don't know. That's actually kind of cool. So, you know, in the future when they need... Uh, some more of that stuff. You'll just be their new marketing department, right? Create, <laughs> yeah. create commercials and other other multimedia for them. But it's exciting. So we'll be, um, and they're letting me sort of like be the director and, and uh, head up the whole filming and everything. So it's kind of kind of nervous, like fun. but it should be fun. So you'll get your own chair, director's chair with your name on the stitched yeah. on the back. Right. And a closet. And a closet, closet with a star on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, That's, thanks. Uh, I'm excited. Certainly a break from, you know, other type of work, you know, your, your, the daily grind. Yeah, I'm excited to meet with them and, and go over it. I do think, though, to make it good, we have sort of need to kind of at least rehearse just a couple of times. I guess I'm going to make cue cards with the words on it, too. So that'll take a lot of time. All right. Well, move it along. We have a show okay. to do. All right, let me, let me tell the listeners about the show. Um, the History of Personal Computing Podcast is your bi-weekly virtual guide in audio to the history and development of arguably the single most important technological advancement of the last 40 years, the personal computer. We also have a companion website that contains the articles we feature for each machine, plus our show notes. That's right, Jeff. <laughs> we generally discuss systems in a date order by tiers. And tiers are in reference to the three tiers of personal computing, originally the desktop, portable, and handheld, but now the laptop, tablet, and smartphone, and, and who knows, maybe the watch, you think, really? I don't know. Get in there. We, I we got one. I don't, I don't know. We approach and describe each system like that of a museum tour guide. So in opening, we are continuing our, uh, our discussion of the holy trinity of personal computing. And we're solidly in the year 1977 right now. As uh, last show, we discussed the first of the three paradigm-changing computers released in that year, which was the Apple II. And there were two more of what we consider the first real consumer computers, or out-of-the-box micros, released that year, too. These were arguably the first personal computers that could be purchased, brought home, 
taken out of their boxes, set up, and then used in some productive way right away. Our computer this show is the second of the computer for the masses, the Tandy Radio Shack TRS-80 microcomputer system, later to be called the TRS-80 Model 1. So picture this. Oh, yes. It's the holiday season, the last shopping days before Christmas, and you're going into your local Radio Shack store to check out the latest CB radios of 1977 for the, or 1978 for the next cal- cal- yeah, catalog year. You head into that familiar-looking wood grain adorned store with the orange carpet and, and something with a stark, contrasting, non-earthy gray color tone catches the corner of your eye. You say to yourself, what is that, a TV? You notice the black and white screen, and it looks like a TV, but it has no knobs on it. All you see on the screen is the word ready, followed by a greater than sign. Below the TV lies what looks like a typewriter keyboard, but the paper platen is nowhere in sight. Almost on cue, the perm-haired, mustachioed, polyester-suited salesperson introduces himself and then proceeds to introduce you to the brand new TRS-80 home computer. (laughs) That word mustachioed it kept throwing me off and, and looking at our uh, show notes. I didn't think it didn't just didn't seem like it's a proper word, but it, of course it is. And uh, you, I was, you had to Google it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. And I was just trying to do a search for a Radio Shack like 1978. I was trying to find some pictures of a Radio Shack. I found one that looks pretty cool. This is, it's a computer center, though, not one of the regular stores. Anyway. All right. Well, I'll come back to that. Yeah, tell us about the company. <laughs> tell us about Radio Shack for those of us who don't know. So um, Radio Shack is an old company. It was originally founded in 1921 by two brothers, Theodore and Milton Deutschmann, and they wanted to sell equipment to the early amateur radio hobbyists in the emerging field of ham radio. They opened a retail store and mail order operation in downtown Boston and chose the name Radio Shack as it was the term for a small wooden structure that housed a ship's radio. Radio Shack issued its first catalog in 1939, where it listed ham radio equipment, thousands of parts, and even some entertainment high-fidelity radios. By the mid-1950s, they began selling their own private label products under the brand name Realistic. Unfortunately, the company fell on hard times in the 1960s and was almost bankrupt by the early 1960s when Charles Tandy saw the potential of Radio Shack and retail consumer electronics. His company specialized in leather goods and had had a banner year in 1961. In 1962, he purchased the company, which included nine retail stores, for $300,000. By the time the TRS-80 Model 1 was arriving in stores, there were over 3,000 Radio Shacks, with related stores in other parts of the world. Sadly, Charles Tandy passed away unexpectedly unexpectedly only a year after the release of Radio Shack's microcomputer. And, you know, in researching this, I never realized that. I, no, I just never came I. across that. I did, had no idea he died like right after the machine came out. So he died on November 4th, 1978, and he was only 60 years old. And, okay. and I put a, a, a link here, but actually then I saw you have links to the same place. And it's it's a great website. And so we'll have links in the show notes, but it's RadioShackCatalogs.com. And you can see the first 1939 catalog and many other ones. Very good historical research on that company. Yeah, just, it's a lot yeah, of fun From a consumer at. level. Anyway, uh, the TRS-80, uh, it was first introduced to the public in August 1977. Since Radio Shack had a fiscal year-based catalog, 
typically effective from September of the current year to August of the next. The computer was presented to consumers in the 1978 Radio Shack catalog. Catalog purchasers started receiving their systems in September, and the micros landed in stores in December of 1977. Yeah, I'd actually I'd, changed it because I know you had, I guess you'd found research maybe where it arrived in September. But from what I could find, it, apparently people who ordered them got them around a, September, but you didn't really couldn't really find them in stores until December. There was a waiting list. Yeah. Yeah. So really they weren't, because I know they sent every store at least one and they're going to use it in the store. And then people could also order them from seeing that. Um, but you couldn't really get them in stores still around then. So I don't know. It might be a little bit of a Yeah, gray people area. were nipping. They underestimated the market. And so they had to hurry up and rush. But those who did get one at, during its introduction, um, they got a machine that the specifications of the machine were as follows. They were, uh, it had a Z80 microprocessor running at 1.77 megahertz. It had a 32 or 64 character display line, per line, and that was software programmable, and there were 16 lines on the display. Had 128 by 48 pixel graphics, not very high resolution, but mm -hmm. usable. Yeah, 4K, 4K of RAM, expandable to 56K, which is, seems like an odd number. Uh, 4K of ROM, a 53-key keyboard, and it was a really nice keyboard, too. Um, uh, the Model 1 had no sound hardware. Square wave tones could be produced by outputting data to the cassette port and then plugging headphones or an amplifier into the data outline. You know, nice hardware programming trick. Some games use this ability for sound effects. And the first models of the Model 1 also had problems reading from the cassette drives. Taney eventually offered a small board which was installed in the service center to correct earlier models. The ROMs in later models were modified to correct this. Yeah, I didn't, I had never realized that either until we were doing this research. And that's why it's a lot rarer to find a Model 1 unmodified because most of them are, um, what is it called? Where they're, they have the ROM upgrade or whatever. Yeah, the level two. Level two basic. basic, yeah, which is also the ROM upgrade and everything else, and it fixes you know that cassette thing and all. Yeah, they released it with bugs, and they fixed it later at, at a charge to you. It sounds like uh, Microsoft software. <laughs> and and not not to be pedantic right now, but you know even back then it wasn't called the Model One; it was called the TRS eighty right. computer. But we we reference Model One just to keep you in in uh, in focus on which one we're talking about, but. Some things to keep in mind. Um, the starting price for the TRS-80 was $399.95. That was without the monitor. But to make a complete computer kit, you would need to include the $199.95 monochrome NTSC monitor and the $49.95 realistic CTR-41 cassette tape recorder and the connecting cable. Together, these components cost you $649.85. But if you bought them all together, you could buy the TRS-80 system for only five ninety nine ninety five. And you know that that gets missed a lot. That's a that was a terrific price. I mean, granted, the machine had a lot of limitations. It wasn't really a great gaming system whatsoever, black and white. But if you wanted your own computer in nineteen seventy seven, six hundred dollars for a complete system. Yeah, that was the I, best bargain, really. When I first saw the uh, nineteen seventy eight catalog. I was a kid then. I pointed this computer out to my parents and says, can you get me this? And they told yeah. me, like, yeah, like we're made of money. I said, it's only $600. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's funny because now that was naive a lot of money. Naive kid. I'm, I'm trying to think. Kid. I want to say in 1977, 
um, probably the maximum like Christmas gift I could ask for was maybe twenty five dollars. That was like pushing it. You know, that was awesome. a fairly expensive, you know, main gift. No Atari for you. And we haven't covered a Commodore Pet yet, which we'll do our first show in January. But off the top of my head, I believe it was like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, it was it was pricey, but it wasn't it was cheaper than the Apple. Oh. Yeah, and then the Apple was like double was the most expensive one. It was the elitist computer. Anyway, carrying on, like the Apple II, which grew from its Apple I cousin, comprised of a kludged together collection of miscellaneous parts, the Tirus 80 has its origin in a homebrewed design of sorts. The, orig- the original prototype for the TRS-80 was wire-wrapped. To an electronics hobbyist, wire-wrapped meant that every lead from every part was wrapped with a length of thin wire with, a th- ins- <laughs> tongue-tied, with its insulation stripped at one end, having the other end of the wire equally stripped and placed on another part's lead as the schematic required. You can imagine how cluttered such a computer board would look with all of these wires going in seemingly random directions. But on February 2nd, 1977, such a contraption, secretly stored under a table, behind a table skirt, was used to demonstrate the TR-80 for the first time to Charles Taney himself and his top-level executives. So now the legacy of the TR-80. Radio Shack sold over 10,000 TR-80 Model 1s in its first one and a half months of sales. That's quite a lot. And they ended up selling over 200,000 during the product's lifetime. By 1980, Kilobod Microcomputing Magazine estimated that Radio Shack was selling three times as many computers as Apple Computer, with both companies ahead of Commodore. I didn't I mean, really know that either. But they had the presence. Everybody knew where the yeah. local Radio Shack was. Well, see, and they were the they were the the economy s- seller. You know, they were the cheapest. Yeah. So I think they had a lot to do with it. They had a pretty good markup on their stuff, but to still sell it at that price. Mm-hmm. And, and have the Radio Shack markup that they like to put on their stuff was actually pretty good. That's, you know, very well in their favor for that. The original TRS-80 microcomputer essentially lived on through three more models, as the Model 3, the Model 4, and the portable Model 4P. Introduced in 1980, the Model 3 included improvements like a better keyboard with built-in lowercase, a faster Z80 microprocessor at 2.03 megahertz, and a 1,500-baud cassette interface. Wow, that's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, with the introduction of the Model 3, the Model 1 was discontinued as it did not comply with new FCC regulations. Yes, I think it was electrically noisy. I think so was the Apple II, right? The original Apple II? Weren't they all? Yeah, I eventually believe. they had to shield everything, and, you know, and shielding in computers became the new thing. Um, the Model 4 was released in 1983, and included the capability to run CPM. Really? I have to make sure mine does that. It also has a faster 4 megahertz Z80A CPU. Yeah, and also, as an aside, I think, um, what, the Model 3 was silver and the Model 4 was white, right? You have one? Yes, my Model 4 is white, and I do have a Model 3 that is silver. Okay. And otherwise, they look pretty much the same. Yeah, pretty much same casing style. The, the screen might be a different color. There was, I think, white, yellow, or amber, and, and green the um, Model 2, released in 1979, was not an upgrade to the Model 1, but an entirely different system. It was sold as a professional business machine and included many advanced features, which made the Model 1 seem absolutely primitive by comparison. Like an 8-inch like disk drive? Yeah. And uh, also, uh, uh, I thought about putting it in the notes, but some other stuff. <laughs> um, the TRS-80 name was used... Uh, 
Wait, what's something that starts with a D? Because they had that feature. DM, not D. I'm okay. Want to say DMZ? They're, they're like DMP printer or something like that. No, it was no. a feature of like uh, ah. Anyway, now you're making me think. I know. Well, heck, since I'm bringing it up on the air here, I guess I'll just look it up. Hold on. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not live? Let's see. That way, our listeners can grab their soda. Come on, Google drink. Take a sip. Wait. We'll wait for your return. What's it called? Like D. It's taking forever to load now. D. Um. Here we go. Terracity Model Two. Deskmate. DMA. DMA. Oh, it had okay. DMA vectored vectored interrupts, detachable keyboard and port instead of memory mapped I/O. So okay. I'm not sure what all that means. But so it anyway. was was pretty advanced. It can move lots of memory around. What's DMA? Direct memory access. Okay. That's, All right. That allows the CPU uh, to better access memory and other components in the computer to better access memory. So we, we ended up covering it. The, uh, the TRS-80 name was used in a number of later unrelated computers by Radio Shack, including uh, the two we spoke of, and uh, the 12, the 16, and then later in the color computer, and then the pocket computer. And then pretty much after they dropped the name, that's when um, Radio Shack pretty much went into just PC clones. Yeah, well, for a period of time, they dropped TRS-80 and just called them Tandy Computers. Yeah. But not, for, but not, not long before they started going into the, the PC clones. And then basically Radio Shack, once you know the uh, PC market became so commoditized, you know, just all cheap clones and stuff, they just stopped selling computers sometime in the, I think it was the early to mid-90s. And yeah, it was one of those sell them anymore. runaway clone markets that everybody was into. Well, it's kind of funny because if you look at it, you know, like I have some old computer shoppers and these things are two inches thick of all the different manufacturers. And, you know, obviously now, right. how many people make computers? You have Apple, you know, HP, Dell, you know, I know there's some other ones, Acer, Asus. There's more than that, but, you know, I mean, there's not a lot like there used to be. Yeah, everybody was slapping clones together, shaking up the market. I guess Gateway's still around, right? They were on the big... On the the sidelines, maybe. So let's move into our eBay and valuations that we find. Yes. So you go ahead and take it away with what you found. Okay. You know, to click on it here. And what I found is... Well, one of them that I found is the... Oh yeah, if I, I went, no, I didn't pick the same one, did I? I think maybe I was about to pick that one. And I have to get past the, these these sold auctions. You have to then go to the link they give you, and then you have to go into the original listing to see. Yeah, I wish they'd the stop details. doing that. <laughs> this is basically a um, entire Radio Shack TRS-80 Model One mm-hmm. with nice an expansion one. interface. The, the the Model One also had the capability for expanding externally in a tiny little box that sat below the monitor so it was almost like the the desktop component of the computer and i think it's kind of the creme de la creme if you're if you're a collector you really want that yes yeah, it's also wanna... a good place to put the uh, power supply for the model yeah i mean if you want to have like a whole system you know yes this this is definitely what you want to get and the price is actually really good a six hundred dollar well 595 and that included an external floppy disk drive um, and it comes with a couple of cassettes, so I would assume you'd have to supply your own cassette 
player. Yeah, it's funny. They got the cassettes, but no cassette player. But it looks in great condition. It's showing it it was running. So somebody got what I believe is a pretty good deal. They bought it for about the price it sold brand new, (laughs) $595. uh, I'd almost argue maybe it's it's a little high. Because for one one thing, if you notice, it's it's a level two basic. Which again, for the time, was a better thing to have. But for, if you want it to be totally original, then it's not totally original. Right. Le- level two basic gave you lowercase, if I recall. Um, but it gave you better basic, you know, the better basic, of course. More but commands. also, it gave you that keyboard. See the numeric keyboard? Oh, that's right. They, yeah, they would put the numeric uh, keypad on the side where before it was just a label. Yeah, so that's the real giveaway from like a, a totally original one. So that's how you can identify them when you look at them. If it has a little numeric keypad on it, then you know it's level two basic. If you see one lying around at some flea market somewhere. I'm actually kind of surprised that it would get that much. I I always thought that that's not a bad price. I mean, I wouldn't be afraid to pay that price. And and yes, I may be overpaying for it, but still, it's complete. Yeah, and you it know, works. It, it, and that's it, a big it, deal. Complete it works. And to me, that to me, that's worth $600. If I can get it for less, great. Uh, one of these days, I might get one. A friend of mine actually put one on eBay several months ago, but I just wasn't in a position to buy one. And I don't know what his sold for. I think it's beyond the limits of eBay's. I think it's eBay only holds 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beyond that. So I think I in this case, him. this one is a combination of having both the expansion interface and a, and a floppy drive. I think that's a little bit rare to have that complete yeah, it, of a system. It makes it versatile for a collector. Okay. Yes. Now the other one. Uh, let's see. Follow my links here. A rare unmodded. That's what it says. Yeah. Didn't really pay attention to the title. I looked more for um, the look, the condition, the price. But this one is. Yeah. Scroll, scroll, scroll. This is right it's... down the road from you, right? Jonestown, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, actually down, uh, the turnpike, the Pennsylvania turnpike, about a hundred, 150 miles. Um, so this one is the model one, most likely with the level one, uh, well, it says level two, but it doesn't have the keypad on it. Hmm. So this must've been an earlier conversion. Yeah. I'm, I'm not or sure. It's maybe the person doesn't know what they have here. Um, it has just the keyboard without the keypad. Uh, you can always assume that it's at least level one basic, but this is the computer and the monitor, which the monitor itself is hard to find these days. Yeah. Uh, for what? $92. Yeah. Plus pretty cheap. $6 shipping. So yeah, I guess that makes the expansion box worth more. Right. Uh, right. When you compare it to the other one, but even something like this is good. If you just want to play around with the system, you'll just have to hook up a cassette player to it to load and save uh, your, your programs. Now I'm trying to zoom in on the screen. I think, I think this is maybe an example of it's probably slightly on the lower, lower side that, you know, we probably certainly might find just this combination of display and computer maybe for a little bit more. I'm looking at the, uh, the screen. He, it does work. It powers up. It does say level two basic. So I guess there was a mod kit that did not have the keypad that still gave you level two basic, but without the numeric keypad, uh, whereas I guess when they started shipping it with level two basic straight out of the box, that probably had the keypad. And what's that black brick to left That's the power on oh, to left that looks like yeah. a uh that looks like a power strip. Radio Shack sold their own brand power strips. 
you know, you know how they market that stuff. Oh you yeah, need you're right. Our yes. brand stuff for our products because they're designed to work better. You know. Oh, I see it now because they're like on the side, the um, the power outlets. Now, if I found this for ninety two dollars again, I would be jumping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, just having um, that power strip with it is kind of cool. I'd be jumping at the eight bit too. <laughs> it says uh, uh, TRS DOS and disk basic reference manual included, but I guess it does not come with the disk drive. You would need the expansion uh, uh, box for that. I don't know if you could plug in the disk drive in the back of the computer keyboard itself. It had some expansion capabilities, but I don't think you could plug in a disk drive directly into that. So check out what I found. This one just ended yesterday. So this person, oh crap, look how much the shipping is though, but still, this person got a deal who bought this. It's The title is Radio Shack Tandy TRS-80 Model 1 Home Computer. It sold for $213.50. Um, shipping, I guess this is maybe at least to me, would have been $100. So it would have been $300 system. Still it's cheaper. $100 for me too. Is that what it says for you too? Yes. Oh, that's a great looking system. Yeah, but this has got the expansion. It's got the you know the display, the unmodded Model One, a disc drive, and a cassette recorder. A bunch of cables there. Um, I guess it doesn't have like software or that other kind of stuff. No big deal. <laughs> and I believe it doesn't say it works. Let's see. I include all the following. I purchased this machine in 1981. Have owned it ever since. Oh, so they bought it like right after it got discontinued. Oh, it does have the expansion box. So oh, it says this uh, is not a perfectly functioning nor fully tested system. It does have some wear uh, and tear. Oh, the monitor does work. Keyboard computer unit powers up. However, there's some display and keyboard character decoding problems. Oh, so it has some issues. Still, for $213, it might be worth getting it if you don't mind tearing it apart and cleaning it. No software is included. Cassette or on disk. The keyboard computer unit has significant wear. All right. Well... But there you go. Still not a bad price. So what are they worth? It's hard to tell. I think it's a moving <laughs> target. I think That's if this one worked perfectly, too, this person it? could say this absolutely all works. And then you know maybe had a couple of cassettes or discs with it or something. It probably would have easily gone for the four or $500 price. Yeah, it seems like it was a keyboard problem. If you probably cleaned the keyboard, it would have probably been worth $300 of his time. And then my second choice was actually, I figured, mix it up a little bit. Why not? I chose a Model 2. Yeah, that big machine with the 8-inch disk drive. And it says, uh, power supply is defective but repairable. Cosmetic issues on case and keyboard. So basically, it doesn't power on. Oh. So it's sort of an unknown. But it sold for 200 bucks. That's I guess that's not bad for a paperweight. Yeah, so it's actually, yeah. So I imagine uh, it's worth a little something. If it was working. Yeah, for a display piece, I guess that might be a good price. And the fact that it sold now one bid, so it wasn't a bidding frenzy. Right. Somebody just probably had $200 to burn, plus, let's see, on the average, $60, $70 for shipping. Yeah, that thing's pretty heavy. Does it say how heavy it is? No, I'm, I'm but... I'm thinking it's like 40-something pounds. Or more. You probably need to pad it. You know, for the things like this with the monitor, you really have to pad that. So when you ship stuff these days, oh, you not yeah. only pay the weight, but you pay the volume as a, a form of weight. I know because I sent an 11-pound package off once. And because of its size, they charged me 44 pounds. 
So as we move into, you know, less old, more common systems in our show, it's it kind of becomes, you know, and in some cases maybe harder to say this is how much something is worth. So like, how much is a is a just a model one worth, and then with a display, and then with a key keyboard. But um, so a new feature starting with this show is we actually uh, will include just two new links in our eBay um, section, and one will be a sold. You can just go to the show notes and click on sold, and it'll show you all the ones recently sold, and then go on show notes and do active. Of course, you can just do this yourself, but we're going to put it in the show notes. So it's by just using, a quick link, yeah. Using the the search phrase TRS eighty TRS eighty and narrowing it down to vintage computers and mainframes, let's both take a look at um, what has sold up okay. until the show time here. So here it comes. So 321 systems. And, That's um, a lot. Oh, we're getting a little the handheld ones too. Well, yeah. there's ATRS-80. But and then the there's Cocos like the one that I found, and this is from recent first. And then here's some color computers. So here's like a color computer one sold for $150. Another for 107. Here's a Model a, 3. I had a color computer one a long time ago, and I sold it for 30 bucks. Yeah. I should have held on to it. There's the one you chose for 595, getting going from newest to oldest. Oh, here's a oh. Model 2000. I didn't mention that one, TRC Model 2000. That Another one was... One of their, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say that, that one was significant. I remember from the ads, it was like Bill Gates was in the ad. For, for like Windows 85 or something. And it, it had an 8186 in it. Okay. I, I always thought that was interesting. Here's a TRS-80 Model 4P mm -hmm. portable that sold for 40 bucks. You know, if you get one of those in good shape, I had one for a long time and it finally uh, started having problems. And then I gave it away at my club here for someone else to try to work on. But um, I highly recommend those if you, um, if you find one and it works well and clean because it's portable. It's nice. You can um, sew like a big sewing machine case. And, and it's just it a really nice system. I like it a lot. Has built-in floppy. Yeah, and then the keyboard There's... pulls out, slides out from underneath. And it does everything the Model 4 does except boot into Model 3 mode, if I recall. Oh. I think that was the major difference between them. You can do all the Model 4 software, but for Model 3 compatibility, which you'll find in the Model 4, uh, they call it the Model 4D, um, you, I think you had to do something special to add that compatibility. So that left you out with, you know, you, you couldn't do many of the games that were really only Model 3 stuff. Here's a Model 1 from, oh, I just went past it, from the end of November. It sold for $143, just the computer and the display. Okay. And so I'm we're seeing talking... more like Model 4s and 3s. Um, I remember they used to get like nothing on eBay. Now they're getting, you know, around a hundred bucks and stuff. So that's, I think the values are kind of going up on those. Yeah. I got to clean up my model three. It, it doesn't, it powers up to garbage uh, and it was given to me, but it needs some cleaning up and fixing one of these days. I'll do that. And maybe I can use that as a, sell that as a fundraiser type thing for this hobby. So I can get myself some other stuff because my model four does model three. Uh, so I don't have to worry about having a model three. Oh, here's another model two says rare, sold for 56 bucks. I'm wondering, I'm guessing maybe it doesn't work. Let's see, what's this? I would assume then. Powers up untested. So maybe it didn't have software. Or it's got a red light. Holy cow, now here's somebody selling a Model 2 and it, they show it working and they want $7,000 by it now. 
<laughs> They'll keep wanting. Make an offer. I didn't realize the Model 2, was it color? I don't think it was. Maybe it was two color or something. All right. Well, there you go. Was... So, you know, what are they worth? I'd say a Model 1, just a computer, if it works, anywhere from probably what, at least 100 bucks. One to one fifty, and then and with a the display lucky, that starts going the, up, yeah. full system yep. anywhere from three to five hundred. Expansion box, you could probably you could probably add a hundred to one hundred and fifty yeah. to the value with the expansion box. Definitely, depending on what's in it, you know, it could be extra RAM in it. It could you know have the uh, disk drive uh, controller and everything all set up with it. Uh, that'll change the price of the expansion box, but it seems like the best price is getting it all together and hoping you're the lucky bidder. That way you're not buying it all piecemeal. It'll cost you more if you buy all the different pieces. Oh, Jeff, I don't know if maybe this maybe further. We're about to go into some uh, feedback, listener feedback. Is there any mention of like um, uh, emulators or anything for TRS, TRS DOS or? There are, and I haven't. Um, there are emulators, but most of them are uh, pay emulators, and I want to. Uh, I'll put it on the website. I do plan on doing a okay. hands-on entry for the website. I was actually busy working with the hands-on entry for the Apple emulators in the past couple of weeks, and I'll discuss that a little bit when we get through the uh, feedback because some of that work stemmed from the feedback we received. Well, basically, there was no uh, email feedback this time. We are getting a really nice response for our holiday, you know, Christmas and holiday special episode, which is basically going to be... Um, introductions by uh, Jeff and I and um, a little bit of discussion you know it'll it'll be a little we'll have a little bit of extra content but mostly it'll be stories from our listeners and some other podcasters about their uh, their first or getting a special uh, gaming or computer system around the holidays that was so, always fun to be able to do but take it away about we've gotten lots of good website comments yes I uh, mark o or how it's written it could be pronounced marco uh who appears to be quite the regular contributor on the history of personal computing website has given us additional feedback on the apple II post and the podcast he mentions that um that's one thing we didn't mention ronald wayne as the third apple founding partner who quickly sold out his share near the beginning of the empire but still helped apple from time to time ronald published a book called adventures of an apple founder which shows his early case design for the Apple One. Oh, you know, if I can mention Jeff, um, and I believe that book only came out like a year and a half ago or so, but he was just in the news, if you will, because there was just another auction. I think it just ended in the last couple of days for an Apple One. And I know the Apple One came in under what uh, what they were expecting, but it was still like $300,000, but which is kind of low compared to what other ones have gone for. But then, oh, yeah, I, I couldn't spend that little. <laughs> yeah. And then Ronald Wayne, though, he sold, like, I guess he had, like, a collection of some early blueprints and designs and, and other stuff from the early days of Apple. And uh, I think they were hoping it'd get, like, a little over 30000 and I think he it got $25,000. Eh, not bad. Just That's some good I just ephemera heard that today. Yeah, ephemera, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Ephemera. It'd be nice to have the original, but I'm not going to spend 25000 for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark also mentioned the uh, Visiplot software for the Apple by a company called Personal Software, mm-hmm. which created graphic plots of data from VisiCalc. Um, that's certainly an app that demonstrated the advanced Apple II color graphics at the time. Cool. 
Yeah, you know what? Maybe uh, maybe a special show we can do later on as we move into like the graphical user interface machines like the Amiga and then the Mac is uh, I've always been fascinated, of course, with the history of graphical user interfaces. And that company also made an early one called Vizion, which was a failure because most people couldn't afford the hardware to run it. But it was actually a sort of a cutting edge uh, graphical user interface, you know, pre-Mac, I believe, or right around the same time. Um, also mentioned are a couple of additional Apple II emulators. This is still uh, Marco. Each worth a look by anyone interested in using an Apple II without having the original hardware. So there's Apple Win, and the uh, link in the show notes. It's Windows only, but supports just about all known Apple II variations, ROMs included, including soft card support for CPM emulation. That's cool. Third-party soundboard emulation and even Ethernet emulation. And I'm actually working on the tutorial for that one to put in our hands-on museum section. So you can actually uh, – I'll describe how you can install it and run some stuff and actually play with an Apple II uh, in Windows only um, through an emulator. And I'm loving what I see so far. That's just wrong, Jeff. Windows only. Uh, talk to the <laughs> author of the program. There's also Active GS, uh, a Windows Mac Linux emulator based on KEGS, which is basically a 2GS emulator only, which runs as a single purpose program. You'll need to change an XML file to have it boot any other disk image. Yeah, it's pretty much turnkey and it comes with a disk image, but you can kind of, like from the background, you can like replace, you put another disk image in the folder and change the XML file to point to that new one, and then it'll boot that disk. It's a little kludgy but i haven't played with it much but that's what i got from how it operates yeah it'd be fun maybe we could do a future show where we uh we like share maybe you could share a screen with me and we record it on youtube or something i don't know we could play around with this stuff sort of together oh that uh that's definitely possible yeah we can do that okay and uh (laughs) mark was still providing us more information um Mark, Mark's comments were so extensive. We've had to would, get police protection. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> that I would simply invite those listening to the history of personal computing. Uh, you know, I'll invite you listeners to go to the history of personal computing website and read the comments posted on the podcast episode seven, Apple II article for the additional details. Oh, you hear my dogs? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think the cat ran and the dog went for it. Um, it's one of those situations. That's all right. And I want to thank Mark for posting all that information. I believe O is the initial of his last name. Um, so I, I, in one, in the additional comments, he actually has a link to his website that shows some of his stuff, um, including some nice, you know, high resolution graphics that we're asking for, um, of some of the systems that he has. So go visit. Oh, that's right. Oh, well, we'll mention that again in just a moment too. Have you, before we close out, um, Jeff, have you ever heard of Ben Heck? Yes, I know of, I know of Ben Heck. I never met him. Um, he, he does like a video podcast and, um, and it, he does like, um, darn it. What, what's it called? Where he like makes, uh, the Ben Heck show. Yeah. yeah the ben Heck just... show, And he'll make like, he's made like an Apple, I think like a, like a Apple two GS laptop. And like, he made a system that was a PlayStation, I think three or four and an Xbox. 
yeah, 360 all in one. Yeah, he turns some things to other things, but just by shoving hardware into where it normally yeah, wasn't Yeah, he hacks things, and, it, and it's, it's really cool, a lot of stuff. So the reason I bring him up is, back to about your dog, is because uh, he was just on the Retro Matcast, the, the current and last show, and then it turns out he was also one of the co-hosts and the guests on the RCR, which I haven't listened to yet, so... So he's I've getting, listened to that one. Did you? So he's like making the rounds all of a sudden. He is. But what the when, heck to do with my dog? But he, because <laughs> when he was on the Retro Matt cast, there's been a number of episodes where James's dog can be heard running uh, around the house making noise and stuff. And then it could have been James's dog, but I'm a pretty regular listener for years. Excuse me, years and years. I think it was Ben Heck's dog. <laughs> oh, you know, for this show. Make, it, make just, a noise in the background. Dog Park was our Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be doing um, our next show is a special Christmas slash holiday seasonal show or you know holiday of your choice for this time of year. And that will be released on Christmas Eve, December 24th, sometime during that day, hopefully in the morning, maybe, I don't know, afternoon. So that'll be our next special show. All right. And then our, our regular scheduled show, we'll call it show nine. Is uh will be released on Friday, January 9th. So that'll be our next regular show, and that's when we'll be featuring the Commodore Pet, the last of the uh, trilogy or the Trinity, or whatever. So please uh, check out our evolving guide and all the show notes at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. You can send us feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com because we really, really would love to receive your email or audio comment. Let's face it, Jeff, we haven't received any audio comments yet. Well, no. actually, we have with our special Christmas show, but we'd love to just hear some regular audio comment comments going forward. Yes, tell us how much you hate us. So do that. Yeah, we'll play it. I guess if you really hate us, I mean, we will play it. Um, please send us your high-quality photos of the machines we've covered, and we really look forward to getting them. And we have not received any except for... just From, send, Mark, from Marco. Yeah, so he actually, did he mention that he has some there for us to use? Yes, and that's what I what told you about earlier. But uh, Marco did send us, wanted to clear that up, that he did send us a link to his website, tech.markoverholzer. Oh, there you go. That's his last name. Yeah. Dot com. We'll put the link in the show note. He shows some detailed uh, photographs of his Apple II kit. So go, go visit the link when you look at the show notes. You'll see some of the stuff. He, he seems to be a very dedicated Apple person. Okay. So lastly, tell someone about us, please, won't you? Write a review on iTunes or help us spread the word with Facebook, Google+, or Twitter, or some other new fancy-dandy uh, social media. Perhaps you're in a specialty discussion group. Tell them. Maybe you're in like a local user group even for retro computing. Tell them. Take our, our uh, show and play it for everyone. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, switch the Muzak recording that's in your office with our right. podcast. Yeah. Right. Or just play it from your iPhone in the elevator. That'll, that'll work, too. <laughs> It'll sound better than some of that elevator music. So that's it for this episode. Keep your old computer out of the cold, won't you? That's right. If, if you're cold, they're cold. All right. See you next time, Jeff. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.